The teaching for this evening comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-12. through 12. This is God's Word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. It's good to be with you again. We are plugging our way through this book of 2 Timothy. I want to give you just a quick reminder of where we are and what this letter is about to orient us as we go forward. We talked about last time in the first seven verses that this is an intimate letter of Paul who is in prison for uh, preaching the gospel. And he is encouraging his uh, beloved companion Timothy to pursue the work of ministry that he's been, go- he's been called to despite the, the resistance that he, he has faced along the way. And then we saw that the first few verses is there's a lot of encouragement here about the gifts of God, the life that belongs to Jesus, and the power that Timothy has by his spirit. And then we get to this section, which, yes, you heard that right, that he tells Timothy to go and willingly suffer. And that's what we were going to talk about this evening. I know that's exactly what you wanted to kind of cool evening like this, Sunday evening you wanted to come and talk about. But I hope there will be some good news for us here. And what I want to do is I want to ask, essentially, this one question about this passage. And that is, how do you know that you're on the right path, particularly in life? And particularly when suffering comes, when things get difficult, how do you know that you are actually on the right path and that it's worth it, or whether the suffering is a sign that you should be on a different path? And one thing that we can all agree on is that as human beings, suffering is kind of the universal indicator that something is not right and that it would be ideal if circumstances were different. So how do you know? When you face suffering, how do you know you're on the right path? Uh, Lauren and I were, we decided to take the kids hiking about a year and a half ago, and um, we had never been to this park before. It was kind of hilly, and so we just found the first trail, and we started walking down it, and we happened to pass a biker, which was fortunate at first, you know, right when we came on this trail. We asked him, where is the end of this trail? Is this a good trail to hike on? And he said, yes, just follow it. It's going to loop around not too long, and you're going to come right back up to the parking lot. So... We start following the trail. It's nice at first, and then it gets longer, a little bit longer, and it starts going uphill, and starts winding. And after a while, it becomes clear that we are nowhere near the parking lot, and it is becoming incredibly difficult to continue on this path. We have children strapped onto us and everything. And so we start looking. Like, there are other paths that go down the side. They go downhill, and maybe they kind of appear to go back towards the direction of the parking lot. 
But all you have to go on is this word that this is the right path and this is the best one for you to go on. So how do you know? Is it better to take the risk and to go on one of the shorter paths that go downhill? Or is it better to continue on the harder path? And that's essentially Timothy's situation here as he's been in ministry. He's been called to this task and things are getting difficult. And it's easy to imagine him as Paul is encouraging him that he's wondering, is this truly the right path? Has this gotten difficult? And then Paul says this odd thing in verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Meaning, don't follow it, don't stop this path and go follow a different path. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he says to, to willingly embrace suffering and the hardships of the harder path. Now, I mean, I want to recognize we talk about a subject like this is, is suffering is difficult and there's a product of the fall and a lot of us have a story that makes it kind of messy to navigate through these waters. Um, but, you know, I ask that we would, we would look at this and pray and ask God that he would en- enlighten us, that he truly would um, show us what he's called us to and what this good path is. So how I want to proceed is I essentially want to ask us three questions of this passage. And that is, what is suffering? What specifically is Paul calling Timothy to do? And then we'll look at why is it necessary? And then we will look at how do we do it, as we're called to do. So, that's where we're going to go. First, what is suffering here? And if you'll look down in, in verse for 11, Paul says that he is a preacher of the gospel. And so we know that that's how he's ended up in prison, uh, from where he's writing to Timothy from. But then back up in verse 10, I think we can go a little bit further than that. And it says that he talks about this work of Christ, and he says, which has now been made, been manifested through the peering of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what he says is that the coming of Christ brought to light this life and immortality through the gospel, and it shows us what this gospel is. And essentially, we can brush that even further aside and out, and what is it that Jesus made known? And it's that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul is basing this work on the work of Christ and showing that as Christ came to earth, that he made known the good news of the gospel for man. And what Paul is doing is he's called to be a a preacher and teacher of this, that he is actually taking this good news and further making it known to all the Gentiles and to all the ends of the earth. So in a way, Paul is imitating what Christ did, and is that he is, out of love for those that have never heard, he is offering this good news and putting it before people so that it could be made, made known to him. So essentially, Paul is loving people in a similar way that Christ loved people in his coming. And so that's it. And you see, it brings us to this first point that what is suffering here is a costly love. That Paul is giving up himself in love for other people. And it does come at great cost that not only is Paul in prison, he is, in that day and age in Rome, then there were, there were social ramifications for being a prisoner And that just the very act of going to prison, that he would end up suffering more than just the discomforts of sitting in a jail cell. But he was essentially ending his future. 
economically, um, any chance of networking that he would have. So kind of if we were to, the best example of that in our day would be that, you know, if, if one of us, for whatever reason, were to go to prison for someone else's sake, then not only would we, you know, have the discomfort of sitting in a jail cell, but after we got out, everywhere we went, then we wanted to get a new job, and we'd have to fill out on the job form that we had a criminal record, and that it would make it very difficult to have a job. So Paul essentially is saying that, he's not, that he is for the sake of love for other people, that he is giving up a great deal. He's essentially giving up his future and casting it on Christ and giving up anything else that he may earn in and of himself. Now why is this? This is important because what Paul is calling Timothy to is not just any old suffering. He's not saying that suffering is virtuous in and of itself. He's not saying that the harder life you have, then the better you are, or the better, the more that Christ loves you. It's this particular type of suffering that is costly love, that is giving up our own self-interest for the sake of other people. But what does this look like for us? You know, Paul, we're a little bit removed from Paul and Timothy's situation in Birmingham, Alabama, in the Bible Belt, and it's not exactly the same um, situation culturally and quite the same cultural opposition to the gospel, although there is some. And most of us are not called in the same calling as Timothy to go out and preach the gospel. So we kind of have to ask is how do we take this, what Paul is calling Timothy to do, and translate it and say what it would say to us? Um, and there are similar ways. On the one hand, I mean, there is... You know, culturally, a lot of disagreement with the good news of the gospel that we hold to. And even just the act of holding publicly our positions, um, that Christ is who he says he is, and issues like that, you know, that he is the ultimate authority, that he gets to, you know, tell us how, you know, what's good and what's bad for us. Um, even issues like eternal judgment are very unpopular. And just holding them in a way is, like, it. We lose something in and of ourselves. You know, we lose a credibility, um, and you know, we might be disliked or misunderstood. But I think we can brush that, you know, fan that out into even further. There are lots of ways that we're called to love others that come to great cost to us. You know, I think for myself, with you know, four kids now, there's a lot of time that is given to other people that you know I don't have on my own to give. There are a lot of hobbies that have slid, that don't have enough time. There's a lot of, you know, fights to break up and to navigate. And it's, like, it's difficult work. And for me, often, you know, in the thick of it, when things get chaotic, it's easy to think that this cannot be the right path. I'm giving up way too much of myself. And maybe a better path would be to fight for my own time and my own resources and well-being, you know, that I can give to myself. You know, I also look at my parents, you know, taking care of uh, one of their aging parents in their house who has Alzheimer's, and they have to give up a lot in order to, um, to love her. And the very act of doing that is very difficult, but that is taking the love of Christ that's been given to them, and it is passing it on to her. It's a, cost, it's a costly love. I mean, we can even go further, like... Issues like forgiveness, 
or telling the truth are other ways where we give other people benefit at great cost to ourselves. But the very act of doing this, these are the types of things that Paul is calling Timothy to do, as to put ourselves aside in love for other people. And this is something that's very easy for us to forget, that's a truth about the gospel, is that there is a lot of really, really good news in the gospel. There are a lot of benefits that we get. However, the gospel came to us via a cross. And part of our calling is to follow Christ and go where he does. And just like Christ said, we're to take up our cross and to follow him. But, I want to think about, think about what this means for Christ. At the end, we listen to this and we say that I know, you know, I see that this is something that the Bible calls us to, but I think we all know that this is something that is incredibly difficult. And at times it feels like we just, you know, we can't give up anymore for the sake of anybody else. However, this is where the work of Christ applies. And that Christ did not get tired. He did not wear out. All the way to the end of the point of death, he gave himself up for us. We will never be able to replicate what he did. And it's not our calling to be Christ for others, because Christ has already done that. However, when we, in our calling to follow him and to imitate this costly love, then, and it becomes difficult and we feel like we can't do it, then that is a good time for us to remember what Christ did and the lengths that he went to. Like, we'll never be able to do it. We can't replicate it, but he already did it. And there's a a level of security there that even that reminder of us of how difficult it is can be a reminder of what Christ did for us and the security that we have in him. And from that point, you know, the cost of love is not something becomes less of a burden that just weighs down our shoulders. It's the family business. I mean, this is just, I mean, as a little kid, you can think about it, who grows up, you know, in a family business, who doesn't have the ability to do the work, but his or her dad allows them to take part in some of these tasks to look like them and to imitate the work that they do as they learn. And that's, that's what Christ does for us, is he calls us to a costly love. But the love that we have in him is far greater than anybody, anything that we could give to anybody else. So, well, why is it necessary? You know, this is a difficult question I want to ask, because we might, we often have questions that, you know, I mean, couldn't God have just chosen another way? Couldn't he have, like, given us blessings and, you know, there not been a cross and there not been a need to give up, you know, there not been a need to suffer. And I think those are good questions, and I think that's something if we look in here that we will see an answer to. And this brings us to the next point, that not only is there a cost of love, but there is actually a conflict of loves going on in this passage. And that's characterized by this, and that there are two paths that are pulling in different ways against each other. There's one, the downhill path, that is much easier to go down, and there's a lot of momentum going that way that's characterized by this. Just as this you know, passage says in verse 9, you know, talking about Christ's work, that it's you know, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. There's the implication that there's the other path that is characterized by our own works and that what we could accomplish in and of ourselves. And that's 
you know, it is, a lot of ways, this is offensive to us. I mean, to say that the works that we have, that, you know, the things that we can accomplish are of no value as far as us getting anywhere with God, but that we have to humble ourselves before him, you know, it can feel like it's, it's in a way, it's putting us down rather than building us up. And to illustrate, Acts 26, 19 to 21, then Paul is um, before King Agrippa, and he says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. And for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. I mean, that illustrates that this message, that the gospel comes through repentance and not through any works that we can drum up ourselves, even our religious works, it's offensive. It requires us to be in a humble state before him rather than a proud state. But there's more. Not only is the downhill path characterized by our own works, but there's also a cultural element to this as well. And I want to draw your attention here in verse 10 when he says, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. This word appearing is a very particular word in Roman culture. And he's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, which was a religious center of the Asian, the Asian portion of the Roman Empire. Um, and this word would be used like when Caesar would be coronated. And it referred to, this was like his coming out as a semi-divine being in power. And it represents all of the might um, of the empire and that humans can achieve. And so this is a very particular word that Paul has chosen here in saying that the appearing was the humble Jesus Christ who came and by all outward appearances was a failed prophet who had died. However, it was in that act that his, act, his glory was made known um, and his, his royalty and his divine status. However, in doing this, he illustrate, illustrates this other side of this, of this downhill path that we could choose the path that's characterized by our own works and also the might of culture and of humankind that we, can, that we can achieve on our own, all of our achievements and all of our glory. However, there is another path that goes directly opposite. And through what appears to be a failed prophet, then this is, I mean, most of this passage is, if you notice, is one long sentence that is just a barrage of good news given to Jesus. And he basically turns his whole world upside down, where he says that not only those, you know, who were, you know, death was coming, that he saved, but then he also called to a holy calling. So Christ took those who were in opposition to him and turned them around till the now that they work for him and the good that he has accomplished in that holy calling. He says that it is not because of our works, but according to his purpose and grace. In other words, that the works, our works, don't get anywhere. However, Christ has offered his own purpose on our behalf to guide us. That what was eternally manifest, that God's whole purpose, which was hidden in eternity, came down to history in one man. It was able to be seen. So he took what was difficult to understand and brought it to earth in in the person of Jesus Christ. And then who also abolished death on the one hand, and brought light and immortality to light. 
And so you kind of see what Paul's doing. It's like he took all what's normal in the world and turned it completely upside down. That there is a new path. But it's characterized by the work of Christ and not by the work of us. But these paths run in opposition to each other. And that's where the suffering comes from. And you can kind of think of it like a tug of war. You know, that there are two ways going in two different directions and it causes friction. And it causes frictions in us, this act of humbling ourselves and in giving up this costly love um, for others. But more than that, oftentimes it feels like a tug of war going downhill where the right path is going uphill and is much more difficult. However, the good news that we see here is that in this conflict, this conflict of loves, Christ has shown the end of this path. So we might not feel it now. It might feel like we're on the wrong end of the tug of war with gravity and stronger people pulling downhill and that we can't do it and we'll never make it up to the top. However, what Christ's resurrection, this great emphasis that Paul is putting on the life and immortality that has been brought in Christ, is that this path is actually where life will come from. It might feel like this giving up of ourselves is too much, we can't do it. However, this is a great promise that the life of Christ, that we haven't fully partaken yet, but we will, that that is the end of this path. That it is not giving up on ourselves completely to continue, but it is actually the path to life. I think there are a couple ways that this hits us. You know, when we think about how this applies to us and that, that where it gets a little slippery is that you know, there, we, we very often can work in our own works, even in underhanded ways that are a little bit unexpected and they're hidden and that we have a hard time seeing. Some of us really, really don't like to suffer at all and we can maintain you know, a, a religious persona and then keep our lives shielded off from those who are suffering. And we, really, we really can't stand to be around suffering at all. And so we insulate and we hide from it. And there are others of us that are very willing to jump into suffering in others because it kind of makes us feel secure. I mean, that if we give enough for other people, then that gives us this sense that we are really doing what Christ has called us to do. And so he has to love us and he has to honor us. But both of those things are really characterized by things that we do in of ourselves. Like that's, in a lot of ways, how we take, we slip and try to go down the downhill path even in deceptive ways, even even to ourselves. However, the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to do that. That we can live without our own works. And there is no more security than we can ever have, evidenced by the resurrection of Christ. That that is our end. That if we belong to his purposes, even though we're giving up ourselves and we belong to life. That is a great promise that we have. Finally, you know, when we, this is the difficult part about this. And this, in a lot of ways, the first two points, they're easy to understand when we read scripture. That we're called to a costly love. And we're called to go through this conflict of loves. However, oftentimes just the formula of knowing the gospel or knowing where it leads, knowing the end of the path is often not enough for us to choose that path. I mean, we really don't like giving of ourselves for the sake of anybody else. What we really like is to give ourselves for the sake of us. But how do we do it? How do we continue 
on the more strenuous uphill path. And is this. The last point, if we look at this language here, it is very intimate and very personal. And that we see that we, we not only have the hope that's the future, but we have an, a companion who goes with us every step of the way. Look at this language we see all throughout here. I mean, in, in first, in, you know, Paul comes to the end, then he says, this is why he suffers, why I do, in verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. It's personal for Paul. Like, he doesn't just know the formula of God's grace for sinners, but he knows the person of Jesus Christ. It's more than that. In another remarkable statement um, in the very beginning, then Paul actually refers to himself. um, He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Remember, Paul is a Roman prisoner, but he's saying right here that he is actually a prisoner. He considers himself a prisoner of Christ. Like, he belongs to him. He belongs in Christ's will for his life. That Rome doesn't really have a hold on him. And more than that, again in verse 12, he says that it is Christ who is able to guard Paul in the present tense, in an ongoing way. I mean, this language is very, very personal that he says. And and this is the good news for us as we struggle to wonder how to do it, is that Christ actually goes with us. Yeah, I really like an illustration I heard from Tim Keller one time in a sermon series on Job, I think is appropriate here, that we, you know, if a rock climber is climbing up a mountain, and it's really no good to him to tell him which direction he needs to go. Like, I mean, you could say, the top is that way, you know, go do it. It doesn't really help him, he knows which way to go. But what he needs is the strength to be able to carry on to pursue all the way to the top. And that's what we have in here. What Paul is saying is that we have this companion, that we belong to Christ, that we are his and he goes with us. In Isaiah 53.10, we read this. If you want, you want to look back in the worship folder, if you would like to, then he, there's this wonderful passage about the suffering servant who is Christ. He says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The Lord decided that he would send Christ on this difficult path where he would give himself all the way up, all the way to the point of death. It was God's will that he would crush the servant. However, it flip-flops within that passage that it was God's will to crush him. However, he would end up with prolonged days. And then the will of the Lord would prosper in the servant's hand. So the one who did this, who knows suffering intimately, he knows the maximum amount of what it is to give himself up for other people, is the one who now wields the will of God. And it is to him that we belong. And so it is in those purposes of this servant who accomplished this, that walks with us and who orders our steps every day. Though we may feel like it is too much we have this promise that he is with us every moment and that he is trustworthy. You know, some of us, you know, we, some of us doubt that we even want to give up on ourselves at all. We really wonder if that is the good path. But this is the path where we find Christ. Is the path where he walked. Is the path where he has called us to. And it is a path where his power is 
is made known to us, that he is able to carry us along this road. It's the path where we know the extent of his love for us. Now, other, others of us, we understand this, and we know, like we may say we want to give ourselves up and in this costly love. However, we might feel pessimistic that he is ever able to do so. And that's, again, where we get this point, that we belong to Christ, the one who did it for us, that we belong to him, and his purposes are what guide us, and he is able to get us there all the way into the end, even when we are unable to do it ourselves. You know, suffering always is going to feel like the wrong path, and is often always going to feel like we're dying. However, the good path is the one that we walk with Jesus, imitating his costly love on his side in the conflict of loves and right beside him, the one who loves us dearly. That is a good path that is worth walking and is worth following. Let's pray now that he would would help us and enable us to do it. Your Father, we we are very small and we are very weak creatures. It is a difficult task that you have called us to, And we often wonder how in the world we will ever be able to do it in our days. And quite honestly, most of us are so tired just with the sufferings and hardships of this life that the thought of giving up any more for anybody else seems like a step too far. But you have made these promises. You have come in a very far distance, a great cost for us. And you have promised us that you're with us. Help us to know that. Even in the struggle, even when things feel like they're over our heads, I pray that you would meet us there. And help us to remember the gospel and remember the year with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.